Hello, my friends, and welcome to the first episode of Season 3 of Unlimited. I am so excited to be back, and we are diving right in with why work-life balance is a myth. The reason we're talking about this is because I get a lot of women looking to do work around what they only know to call work-life balance, so some aspect of creating balance in their life or creating some sort of supportive, harmonious, integrated experience of their work and their life or within their life. And the only terminology that we really have collectively is this concept of work-life balance. So even knowing that, well, there's not really any balanceable dynamic here, there's not equal parts or anything like that, it still has a lot of tendrils that create problems in even seeking what they're actually looking for. And what you're actually looking for when you're thinking this is probably some sort of experience of life that you don't have, that you want to have. So this idea of balance, of harmony, or whatever, seems like, okay, this is what's wrong. What's wrong is that there's an off balance. So we need to talk about the roots of this term, because it illuminates Some of the reasons why even engaging it is difficult, especially when that's the way we are taught to think about it. So we're going to dig into what is work-life balance, the history of work-life balance, the deep problem with the term work-life balance, a starting place to create what you want in life when you're thinking work-life balance. And then, of course, what to expect in season three of Unlimited as a wrap-up. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey there, I'm Valerie Friedlander, Certified Life Business Alignment Coach, and this is Unlimited. This podcast bridges the individual and the societal, scientific and spiritual, positive and negative, nerdy and, no, there's just a lot of nerdy. (laughs) Come on board and let's unlock a life that's as badass as you are. Y'all know I love to start off with a good definition because we need to understand the words that are being used when we engage them because, as I was saying with the idea of work-life balance, understanding the dynamics, even if it's not like a conscious thinking of the word, like, oh, when I say this word, I mean this, there's a lot of implicit understanding within the words that we use. And so we use these words and... They have meaning beyond what we're consciously thinking. They have the implicit meaning that is given when we use them and people hear them. And it's this shared agreement of words. The idea of be impeccable with your words is a core concept in the four agreements. And that is why it's because when we use words, they're symbols and we need to understand what they're symbolizing. So we'll start with What's a myth? Because if I'm calling work-life balance a myth, we should understand what a myth is. What a myth is, according to dictionary.com definition five, that fits most appropriately because there are other ones about like, you know, gods and other like mythologies. A myth is an unproven or false collective belief that is used to justify a social institution. And as we talk about work-life balance, you will see that this is exactly what it is. So I'm going to say it again. 
an unproven or false collective belief that is used to justify a social institution. And let's see if you can see the connection. All right, so work-life balance. Let's talk about what the definition of work-life balance is. Now, it's going to be more involved than just this definition, but we'll get to that. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, the definition of work-life balance is the amount of time you spend doing your job compared with the amount of time you spend with your family and doing things you enjoy. This highlights one of the aspects that I'll be talking about, which is the binary of this definition, how it puts work and living in conflict, and also identifies one as a negative and one as a positive. I'm always questioning when it comes to things that are binaries, because there's often an issue going on there, as you may know from previous episodes. So let's talk about the history, because the history highlights some other issues with the generation of this concept. Now, I found it interesting to try and gather information, at least online. I didn't get into the books. There was one site that I found that had links to articles and books that talk about the history. There was another that has kind of anecdotal stuff and then jumps right into technology stuff which is a factor, so we should acknowledge that. But I am going to touch on some of these concepts that are being brought forward where some of these things came from. So trulyexperiences.com has a little breakdown of the origins of this balance of work. Now, the terminology of work-life balance wasn't being used yet, but during the Industrial Revolution, the typical number of hours that white blue-collar workers would be expected to work was between 70 and 100 hours a week. So it was more like work, sleep, work. Welsh manufacturer and labor activist Robert Owen, who is described as the father of socialism, believed that, quote, labor was the foundation of all value, which obviously I have some issue with. (laughs) But he coined the phrase eight hours labor, eight hours recreation, eight hours rest in 1817. So this is like Oh, balance, right? Everything has equal parts. It's split up in a way where our time is completely balanced amongst the three most important things. Now, the article does not talk about this at all. And most of the articles talking about work-life balance that I found were not acknowledging this. But I think it's important that we do here when we're talking about work-life balance, and especially in the historical context at this particular point in time, the focus is only on white male laborers. The horrific institution of chattel slavery was still very much active. People of color, especially enslaved black people, were not being considered at all in this conversation and in what people deserve and need in life, and in living. And too often, as evidenced by the articles that I used for this history, we are only looking at this conversation through a patriarchal and sometimes capitalist lens without acknowledging the role that white supremacy has and is playing here. I'm not digging too deeply into this 
aspect, since we are only touching on the historical contexts in this episode, but if you do want to dig deeper, I encourage you to check out books like Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey. Now, continuing on this historical evolution of the conversation around work and life, the idea of the nine to five was made mainstream in the 1920s by Henry Ford after years of pressure from labor organizers, where he stated, it's high time to rid ourselves of the notion that leisure for workmen is either lost time or class privilege. And then, of course, the article, as I mentioned, jumps into technology. Let's then jump to the article on positive psychology, where they talk about the history around the term work-life balance. In it, and this article has links to published articles on this topic. It talks about how in the 1970s, the concept of work-life balance was initially framed, and it was not work-life balance, but work-family balance. And the main reason this was being discussed was due to concerns surrounding women joining the workforce, white women, let's be clear here, joining the workforce and leaving the home. So now we have this conflict of trying to balance family and work, these two areas of labor, not that one is acknowledged as labor, which is why we say family and work. So as women started to engage this workforce that was primarily comprised of men and were being able to take on formal employment, the result was this juggle between work and family life. Now that is obviously still an issue primarily for women, though it is important to acknowledge that it is also something that comes up for a lot of other people. And those who are struggling with the other aspects of life. Now we're going to talk about this because again, even just these terms that are being used that while okay, they shifted from work family to work life, That in and of itself didn't solve the issue and in a lot of ways enhanced the issue in the way we talk about it and the way we think about it because it's advancing from a problematic perspective to begin with. So that's part of what we're going to dig into as well. The other factors do involve technology and the advancements in that space that increase work pressure because there's more accessibility, there's more connectivity, there's more expectations now that people will be more responsive. The pace of everything has increased with this greater technological connectivity. Johan Hari engages this really well in the book Stolen Focus, as well as a number of other things, but that one in particular, the speed at which our movement of information is and the expectations that go along with that, and the pressures, and the shifting in values and attitudes around work that go alongside those expectations. Along those lines, Forbes has an interesting breakdown in an article around the generational shifts in attitudes and values related to work, though after that breakdown, there are some other questions that highlight some ways that we think about work that are an issue as well, such as 
a question, how can a company promote a healthy lifestyle both physically and emotionally without sacrificing employee productivity? This is another question that puts those two things at odds. And a lot of research has shown that they are not at odds, that more emotionally and physically healthy people do better work. But of course, it also emphasizes productivity again as the core driving focus. There's also an emphasis at the end around creating a happy workplace such that work will feel more like a second home. And that has a lot of its own issues because it's this blending, this blurring of the spaces that we occupy in our lives. Yes, we can enjoy work, but it's still emphasizing this idea of work being the thing. So if we just make it happy, then people will be fine working ridiculous hours, which isn't really okay either. So just saying. The Oxford Bibliography's website succinctly places the disconnect, the different ways that people think about work-life balance compared to companies in that addressing those things workers are typically trying to preserve both quality of life and potential for career advancements and income, while employers are trying to preserve high productivity and reduce worker turnover. And one of the things that I'm looking at here is just the issue with the way we're thinking about this at all, the way that these two have been juxtaposed as it's either work or living or life. It's not both. And it speaks to this disconnect in being human. Anyway, I'm going to get into that more in a second, but it's what is being framed and how it's being framed and how we talk about it that is moving the conversation in a way that's not actually supportive for anybody. It's not supportive for quality of work and engagement in work, and it's not supportive certainly for the people, the human beings engaged in work. Going back to that positive psychology article, it lists some statements that synthesize various definitions of work-life balance. A couple of them are people perform different roles in their life, including a work role and a personal life role, and the demands of one role can carry over into the demands of another. This lumping of personal life as though that's one entity, that's one space is an issue, (laughs) to say the least. Second is people should be able to commit equal amounts of time and energy to all roles. Also ridiculous because the idea of committing equal time and energy just isn't feasible. It isn't reasonable and creates a lot of issue. Work-life balance is achieved when there is little conflict between individuals' work and personal roles. People should feel satisfied with their own performance in various life domains and should function optimally in these domains. Their performance and function across life domains should not clash. So what you may notice within all of these is it's about how we function and functioning optimally and performance and If you'll notice with this, it's very mechanical. It's how you might talk about a machine functioning and the performance of the machine. I want this machine to function here. I also want it to function here, and I want it to function well in both of these places. The core piece 
that I want to highlight in all of this is that we are not machines. And this is the fundamental issue with the way this concept is discussed. It's also an issue because of that juxtaposition of work and life. And a lot of the articles that I read through were talking about, well, you know, sometimes we can enjoy things in work and we can enjoy things in life. And sometimes things are difficult in life and sometimes things are difficult in work. And the problem here is that work is part of your life. I see this concept of work-life balance the way I see imposter syndrome and quiet quitting. And all of these terms that have been framed based in the work concept as that being our primary function or being at least as important as everything else in our life. It's work and everything else, which is hugely problematic. To recap, I've talked a little bit about imposter syndrome. I don't think I've talked about quiet quitting before, but the reason I reference those is imposter syndrome is something that happens when you are surrounded by people telling you either directly or indirectly that you don't belong. But it is something that is called imposter syndrome as though it's an individual issue, an individual pathology, right? It's a syndrome. It's a problem that you have. Something is wrong with you. Actually, maybe it's your intuition picking up that You're in a space surrounded by people telling you you don't belong there. Or perhaps it's a carryover from a time where you were in that space. Imposter syndrome is something that comes up a great deal more for women than it does for men. I don't have the statistics right now, but if you want them, you can probably find them pretty easily. And even more so for people of color, Black people, Black women, it's a huge issue because it's made into an individual problem. I reference quiet quitting because quiet quitting is framed as an issue with an individual silently disconnecting from the work that they're doing as though they don't like it. They're, they're quietly quitting. They're quietly saying no. Instead of it's people setting boundaries to unrealistic, unreasonable expectations within work. It's people actually engaging, not work-life balance, but saying, I can enjoy this work and still set boundaries around it because I need space for other aspects, other facets of my life. But because it's framed as quiet quitting, it is about the company and it is about what these individuals are doing to the company instead of the dynamics of the company and how that is unreasonable and unhealthy and needing to shift and people are finally saying no to it. So I see work-life balance as the same sort of thing. So again, this idea of work-life balance places working in the same all-encompassing space as living, as life. Living is everything. Living is unlimited. The only boundaries in living are those imposed by nature. Work is not and should not be everything and unlimited and this thing that we're balancing between living. It is part of life. We are not machines. Yet, as I articulated, that is the expectation. This is the thing that needs to change. The expectation that work is what makes us valuable, going back to that 
quote that I gave earlier from Robert Owen, that labor is the foundation of all value. That is an issue. (laughs) That idea that labor, that work, is what makes your life valuable. So naturally, it has to be labor and life, work and life. Everything else isn't as valuable, but does need to be balanced because, you know, whatever. Anyway, I see this as part of recognizing the idea of what we need to honor being a human is it's part of a cultural issue. And it's an issue that isn't a deficiency in you when you're looking for work-life balance. It's not because you're not doing well enough with the balance. It's what the expectations are and the way the conversation is even framed. Now, saying that something is a cultural issue isn't saying that you're powerless. Engaging from a place of power starts with identifying the issue, which we've just done. Notice where you've internalized it. And it's probably going to show up pretty much everywhere. This idea that what you do, your productivity, all the work that you are doing in life or in your family is what makes you valuable. Notice that internalization. And the next piece is divesting from the beliefs that you have that relate to that. And when you do that, then looking at what changes, what do you do differently? If you've divested from those beliefs that my value is in my work and what I do and what I create and what I produce, then you can engage, okay, now I know what I would do differently. I can divest from the behaviors that are related to that. What am I doing that is emphasizing that, that is affirming that in my life? How am I engaging with other people that affirm that in their life? This is complicated because it's a collective dynamic and it's you engaging on an individual level. So I think it's important to recognize that this is difficult and it may require collective action due to systems of inequity to actually engage. So these are things to have conversations about. These are things to explore what they look like in your life, what they look like in other people's life, to have a conversation with your partner, to have a conversation with the people in your community to start to change this conversation, to identify the issue. Sometimes it's hard to like look at it and be like, oh, that's the problem. Sometimes you can see it really clearly and sometimes you can't because it's so internalized. It's so ingrained into our ways of being. So one of the things that you can do is start by exploring some of the questions that relate to that. So one of them is, what is living? What does it mean to live, to like truly live? What does that mean to you? And this doesn't mean like, okay, now you just have to stop and go do that. Sometimes there are things that we realize need to change in our lives, but we're not ready to change or we can't change for whatever reason. There are obstacles in the way. And so knowing what it is that you're looking for, what it is that you want, allows you to then start creating the stair steps towards that. So as Mia Birdsong talks about in how we show up, it's important to know what you want to have, the awareness of the dynamics that you're living in. And while you may identify a choice that you'd like to make, knowing that you can't make it yet still allows you to work toward being able to make that. But if you are not aware that there is a choice, if you're not looking toward what you want and have that cognition around it, then you won't make the choices that help you move toward it. So what is living What does it feel like to really live? Or what do you imagine it would feel like? 
Maybe there's a time that you felt really alive that you can tap into. What was that experience like? How did it feel in your body? What were you doing? What were you thinking? What was going on? Paint a picture, literally or figuratively. Where and when do you experience this or have you experienced this? Start there. What is living? Because that is the piece. And part of it may be what you do in the world or It may be what you need to be able to do what you want to do. And therefore, that helps you identify the purpose and the work instead of getting attached to, okay, this work has to be like this. I have to love what I do. You don't have to love what you do. If you know the purpose in it, then you can address what are the needs that you have to be able to engage work as a piece of your life instead of half of it or the more important part of it, or the part that makes you valuable enough to have the rest and have the other things. Again, I'd like to point you toward the book Rest is Resistance by Trisha Hersey that powerfully engages this topic of rest. All right, so now let's talk about season three of Unlimited. Season three is all about exploring the relationships that we have to various pieces of our life, including but not limited to work. Because we need to reposition our relationship to working. So it's not an either or with living and it doesn't take over our life. Everything is about relationships and all relationships require boundaries. So in some ways, this season is also going to be all about boundaries, which is ironic because the podcast is called Unlimited and boundaries are about creating limits. (laughs) But that's kind of the point because you are unlimited And navigating living as a human being means creating limits. The key here is you intentionally creating them versus buying into the ones that have been built for you by others and then reinforced through terms like work-life balance and imposter syndrome. Now, speaking of limits, you can expect this season to include more interviews, more coaching, and shorter episodes when it's just me. I intend to continue releasing new episodes two times a month on Wednesdays, but this season it will be on the second and the fourth Wednesdays of the month. If you are looking for support to show up in alignment with what living looks like for you in all the facets of your life and you're not really sure how to put all those together, that's part of what I'm here for, helping you create those boundaries and create the space that supports you being you and honoring your values and creating the style of living in all areas, including work, that you would like to have. So if you want support on that, grab a spot on my calendar for an exploration call. If you would like coaching on the podcast, There will be a link to apply for that. And if you want to ask a question or ask about something you would like to hear engaged on the podcast, there is a link to do that anonymously that I will also have in the show notes. So go check out the show notes, see all of those things, and look forward to more talking about work, intimacy, body, money, time, parenting, communication, life journey. It's going to be a blast this season. So stay tuned for that. And I will talk to you all next time. Thanks for listening. I so appreciate you being here. If you got something out of today's episode, please share it. Leave me a review, take a screenshot and post it on social with a shout out to me. Send it to a friend or, you know, all of the above. Want to hang out more? Join me on Instagram. 
or better yet, get on my mailing list to make sure you don't miss out on anything. And remember, your possibilities are as unlimited as you are. Allow yourself to shine, my friend. The world needs your light. See you next time.